this vaccine, very less chemicals, like the actual carrying body that the, the mRNA is in is basically some, some fats and sugars and less chemicals than are in a hot dog. It's two fat morons save the world. Good afternoon, everybody. I'm Terry. He's Dave. Say hello, Dave. Hey. And we're joined again <laughs> by the illustrious JW, Jeremy. Say hello, Jeremy. Hello, Jeremy. Illustrious. Oh, That's damn. a new we're word. We're going to call you J Dub. That's the word today. Is it J Dub now? It's I J-Dub. hope not. I like it. <laughs> J Dub. J W J. Slip into W. W. Oh, man. We are two fat morons, and what are we out to do, boys? We're out to... Save the world! And today, we are actually going to try to actually save the world. Our topic today, we're we're dedicating an entire episode to the, you know, your favorite virus and mine. That thing. COVID-19. A thing that's happening. A thing that's happening. We're in. We're close to Christmas here in Canada when we're recording this, and things are getting a little scary. So we actually have a professional, um, frontline healthcare worker. Uh, we're joined today by uh, Dr. Paul Parks, and I'd like uh, Dave, if uh, you've got a personal relationship with Dr. Parks, um, care to introduce yeah. our guest today? How's it going, go Doc- Dr. Paul Parks? How's it going, Paul? Going good, going good. Thanks for having me on here, guys. Excellent. I know Paul um, through um, musical theater. Actually, Paul is the president of Medicine Hat Musical Theater, but he, that's his that's his role by night. Oh no, actually, that's your. You, yeah, I can't even say that because you like work all the time. <laughs> yeah. T- tell us, Paul is the emergency physician, Medicine at Regional Hospital and president section of emergency medicine, AMA. So do you want to tell us what that's all about? Uh, yeah, I mean, so yeah, by my, my professional training is, uh, is in emergency medicine. So I've, I've trained uh, and worked in Alberta actually for almost 20 years now in emergency medicine. Um, I should disclaim that I'm very much an amateur in the musical theater world. It's my, <laughs> but you're it's awesome. My daughter, it's my daughters who mm-hmm. are the ones that actually have real talent. But uh, um, yeah, no, so I worked up, uh, in Alberta for um, 20 years. I was up at the U of A for a long time, and now I've been down in Medicine Hat for a uh, good 11 years now. And then uh, that provincially, I am the lead for the section of emergency medicine. So I do have that perspective of uh, what's going on for the full province regarding emergency medicine as well. And I got to say, you're rocking the wicked stash too. Rocking the wicked... My Movid here, boys, so it can fit under the N95. Otherwise, uh, the, uh, the, the goatees and beards don't work in this COVID world right now. I'm, I'm, so Movember stayed, and it's my Movid now, I call it. So. Ladies and gentlemen, I have to tell you that Dr. Parks has the whitest Fu Manchu mustache I think I've ever seen in my life. It's awesome. My gosh. I love it. That's awesome. Yeah. I think it's brilliant that you- you I think it's brilliant too. I love I wish I could grow that. Found a way to fit facial hair under a mask still, because the only reason I have a beard now is because I don't work in medicine anymore. There you go. And so, it's all, it's weird yeah. too. I just say that I forget I have it because I have a mask on 90% of the time. Mm-hmm. So yeah, anyway, exactly. so that's probably why I'm allowed. My wife lets me keep it because it's mostly hidden. There you go. Well, I, I have to ask what Dave and I and have our favorite musicals that we either want to be a part of or we've been a part of. Um, what's yours? 
Is there? Oh, that's for that's fun. a good one. Uh, I'd probably book a Mormon beehive up there on on one of my favorites for sure. So I want to see that. And so I bad. have not seen it either. Oh. Yeah. I oh, seen it either. I've seen it seven times, yeah. guys. Oh, you no. gotta. Yeah, I saw it in New York twice, and I saw it three times here, and uh, admittedly twice on YouTube. If you want to watch it, you, there are full versions on YouTube you can watch. Oh, is that right? Oh, but it's brilliant. It's probably next to Hamilton, probably. I, I really think I would ruin it watching it on somebody's cell phone yeah. on YouTube. Like, I want to see it. Are we allowed to endorse <laughs> yeah. that, by the yeah. way? Yeah, yeah, that, that's right. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It'll be all bleeped. The book yeah. of bleep. Yeah, book of bleep on bleep tube. <laughs> So let's, let's get, into get into this, this. then. Yeah. So yeah. Here's so last night, I, I messaged Dave, uh, uh, Paul. It's something that really shook me, and it's what I want to lead off this 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 conversation with. Are, are we in the midst of a potential zombie apocalypse here? Like, how do we stop this potential runaway train? The, on the news networks last night in particular CNN and uh, I don't remember what the the news outlet Dave that I sent you the article from but there's an alarming high amount of burnout and related suicides among frontline healthcare workers in Canada and the United States and because they're just overwhelmed with the you know like, and you're on the front line so I'd like to start off with your an assessment of how is it out there? Are, are we being overwhelmed? Are we going to get overrun by zombies? I mean, <laughs> how do we stop this runaway train? Well, I mean, yeah, that's a good question. And everywhere is a little bit different. And if you look through, so the bigger centers, so Alberta, for example, it, it is getting to, uh, you know, proportions where uh, there's so many numbers of hospitalized patients, so many in ICU, so many more coming in because they're, on the brink of needing hospital or not, that it, it's starting to impact our regular care in, in the hospitals and in the emergency departments. Um, for example, at Medicine Hat, we're not quite there numbers-wise right now. Geographically been a bit isolated, doing a bit better. Our numbers but one have of been going down, yeah. yeah. Going down a little bit, yeah. yeah. And, and partly it's it's hard to figure out why exactly, but it's good that it is. And uh, but, but one of the things that gets mixed a little bit too that is difficult for everything is it's not just the care of the COVID patients, but in the hospital and acute care system, uh, for example, in medicine, how if someone has a major stroke or bad heart attack or something that needs higher level of care, they would usually go to Calgary or Edmonton or be transferred, same as Ontario, they'd be transferred into the bigger centers in Toronto, say, or wherever. That, that can't happen when those when those hospitals get over capacity mm -hmm. and get overwhelmed and we're starting to see those effects so so yes it's bad yes it's real and and you know to your point about healthcare providers there's no question fatigue and morale's low because it's been a long haul um, and and then you know I think part of what plays into that fatigue a bit is that is that maybe there's things that could have been done earlier that could have slowed this. And, and there are, there are things we know that work will work, but for political reasons and politicization and different things, um, some of the stuff didn't necessarily happen. And so that, that can wear on us as well. And, and it's not all negative though, because we can talk about what stuff's working and what'll help, but there's no question. This is hard. And you know what, maybe I'd add the last thing while I'm thinking about it is it's really hard on the front lines when you got to go into work every day and then worry about bringing this back to your family too, right? So that oh, that's yeah. a mental burden that adds to it a lot as well. Uh, 
but but for the most part we're ticking along and still doing our job and doing our thing it's just it is tiring and, it, and it's wearing so can i ask you you guys are in medicine hat and like i'm i'm originally from southern alberta so specifically kind of grew up around the lethbridge uh, fort mcleod area so like the health network there is there like an overflow for the smaller towns in Canada, the United States, is like, I'm assuming there's some kind of an overflow system when hospitals start filling up in one center. Do you folks have to ship uh, um, patients to like, you know, Fort McLeod or Lethbridge or Brooks or, you know, Cardston or, you know, any of the smaller areas, uh, Pincher Creek, you know, I mean, did you guys have a network that you need to rely on or is it pretty much geographically isolated to... Your, your general area here, here in Toronto, for what it's worth, we, we don't have a heck of a lot of hospitals compared to the population. In my opinion, I, I think the government would probably disagree, but um, earlier today on, um, on, on CBC, the, uh, the, the mayor of Toronto mentioned that um, ICUs are starting to reach capacity, which I think, as you mentioned in our preamble, that impacts healthcare of you know other people that are having other problems like how do you deal with a heart attack or an, or appendicitis when your ICUs are full right are you, are you finding are you seeing that kind of thing there and what is the contingency plan I guess going forward if you start getting overwhelmed by patients well and so yes uh, the, the, I mean the key thing one of the things that's a bit different in Alberta which is a benefit and sometimes a negative is we have Alberta Health Services, so that's a whole, the entire province is governed under the same body for healthcare. So they're in the works of that kind of exactly. Uh, uh, we're getting close to, for example, our ICU of Medicine Hat, the one in Lethbridge, aren't, aren't as overwhelmed as Edmonton and Calgary is. So they're uh, as they are. So there's some discussion now, do we take some of the less sick patients from those cities and, and bring them to our, our ICUs, for example? Or do we not bring COVID patients, but bring post-op patients or other type of things? And all of that's in the works right now. Um, and, and as numbers increase and as that capacity gets uh, increased. And the one thing I, I would really stress for the lay people out there that may not, sometimes you get confusing things where they say, ah, oh, you know what, there's, there's 120 patients in ICUs, but there's 250 beds. So you guys got tons of space and lots of room to grow. What gets missed in there is our capacity and our healthcare system in all the provinces to a varying degree. It's always at 99 to 105%. So all of these COVID cases and all these numbers you're seeing that get out, they're on top of an overflowing kind of system. So uh, and so that redistribution is an issue. Actually, uh, one of the things that, and we had asked a little bit earlier, um, knowing that I kind of started in a community level hospital and Terry, you might know uh, Chatham back from Ontario. Um, how do you guys, uh, Dr. Parks, then anticipate having to deal with this influx of things where, like you said before, normally you'd ship off to Calgary or other bigger centers um, while in, in Alberta could be different community hospitals were equipped to deal with a little bit of everything back the Ontario way. It really was a like, okay, we've stabilized them, but let's get in orange or I guess out here it's halo. And like, we need to get them to a, a more critical center. Is that still an option now? And, and are you guys feeling extra pressure because that might not be now? Well, it's, it's still an, as of today, it's still an option for most, but it's becoming less. For yeah. example, I had 
you know, just within the last day or two, a patient that had heart attack type symptoms that could have benefited from Calgary, they were stable here and we can manage them here, but they didn't go to Calgary because mm-hmm. of Calgary's situation. So that's starting now. Um, and you're right. Like, so the other part of it, that's why, that's why this whole discussion of what can the public do? How do we bend the curve? What are the things that allow us so we can kind of spread these cases out longer so we can deal with it is, is around um, not getting to the point where we're in a disaster mode and disaster means that the, you know, it's outstripped our resources and, and some places are getting now where they'll have to make decisions that there just isn't another event available. We can't, we can't put this patient on a ventilator because there's not one right now, or, or even more simple and more common is there's three people who need it. And we have one right now. Uh, that's starting to be a discussion that's happening more and more. And, and we have ways like maybe we have to decide that that 90 year old versus the 55 year old and health and what they're, Mm -hmm. we have ways to do that, but it's never good. And it's not a position we want to be in. Uh, And it's not what anybody's used to, Uh, you know, it's very rare in our Canadian healthcare system that we can't do what would be base routine care or even, even higher level of care that we're not able to do it because of resource issues. Oh man, there's respect level I have for that. I, I couldn't, I couldn't look a family in the face and tell them that, you know, they're, their family member we just don't you know, have the was space, next in, we don't yeah. have the space you're I mean, right guys like you I mean, know, the, wow. the system the ecosystem that we built up is so fragile that it can't handle you know adversity like it yeah. works great when it's when it's working with average numbers but once you once you you know push through uh, a little bit more traffic then it starts to fall down and it starts to crumble in on itself well and like paul had said earlier we still have All the other normal stuff. And this is something that I was discussing early on in this pandemic. And and like you said, yeah, maybe we did things early or did things wrong. But what do you do in this situation? But people are still getting into car accidents. Heart attacks are still happening. Diabetics are still going keto acidotic. Mm -hmm. And now we have a global pandemic on top of that stuff, which was already pushing some of them to the limits. And I mean, while I only have a limited experience, I am so grateful. And my heart goes out to any of my 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 peers who are still in the hospital because man, it's, it's hard right now to deal with all that stuff. Mm-hmm. What um, you said keto, keto asso what now? <laughs> <laughs> Paul, Sorry. Knows, Paul knows what that is. I get a little <laughs> excited. And then the, the, the dictionary expands a little bit. Once I start getting into that passionate discussion, See, what is he, what is, what is Jeremy doing on a podcast called two fat morons right? <laughs> and a smart guy and Paul. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. I keep I'm getting in invited. Team, maybe <laughs> still in the title, Dave. Still in the title. <laughs> still in the so. title. That's right. So, is there? And and here's the thing. I mean, that's alarming to me, guys, because that's Medicine Hat. That's not Toronto. That's not Montreal. That's not Vancouver. And as bad as Toronto is, Montreal is worse. As bad as Montreal is. New York, Chicago, Los mm-hmm. Angeles, Washington are way worse, right? Well, it, this is it, scary. And it's not even it's not even just you know the the, the population centers. Like when I look at um, the numbers of of current numbers as of today, you know we're looking at you know Quebec and Ontario with the most population in our country at seventeen thousand roughly each, and yet Alberta has twenty thousand and you know half the population. What? of active cases right now. Yeah. And I on a per that. capita yeah. basis, that is terrible. It's huge. That is terrible. It's huge. So, I mean, oh, 
absolutely we're one of the worst in the world when we go just per capita yeah. so it's it's bad it's scary i mean the only thing that makes us bit better as the states a lot of them are way worse but well i mean that's we're about at, it though in the rest of the world the, right? the, the, they're, ha- they're having a they're having a 9-11 every day. type numbers every day, every day. yeah yeah uh, that's deaths too yeah. so and, that's and, like and i wonder in a large part if if that has something to do with our numbers too because i mean let's face it you know alberta is a very conservative province we had talked about this before the show um there are plenty of of people who you know buy into that you know, American attitude or the the conservative American attitude. And I, and we see, you know, lots of people complaining about rights issues and lots of people complaining, you can't make me wear a mask and all that stuff, which kind of leads us into, you know, our next segment a little bit, um, um, which we can get into once, you know, once we've kind of finished talking about this, but, um, you know, is that what the cause of our numbers crisis is? It's a, yeah, that's a good question. Ideology uh, and pig- lack of education? To piggyback on that, I mean, the, the the second part of that, Dave, I would ask is, and, and guys, I just take a guess, I guess, like, okay, okay, so the numbers are growing exponentially, but how many of these people that are being reported now didn't get tested, didn't have symptoms before, right? Like, do we actually have an accurate number of how this thing is growing? Are these new infections or are these people that are like that were infected eight months ago that are now starting to show symptoms, those kinds of things. Is there any way, uh, Paul, to know that? Oh, yeah. So that's one thing. Ontario, Alberta. So, you know, a big, a big trouble that we have is uh, this whole idea that anybody can be an expert on this stuff and that anyone with an opinion can say, well, here, I looked at this and this is this is the truth of it or whatever. But no, we actually have a very good so provincial, our data around testing, for example, our testing is all capturing right now acute tests. It's positives because they're acutely ill, certain things like that. So our, our actual data is very robust and it actually paints pictures that are, are, are quite clear of what things are going to look like. And, and one of the problems that everybody in simplest terms, the lags, when you get a positive test, it's usually about a week to two weeks before someone might need hospital. And then it's usually about three weeks to four weeks before you see they die if they're going to die from that positive test. So that lag of two to three to four weeks from each positive that we see, so say 2,300 today or 1,700, we don't see the effects of those until we hit two or three weeks out. And then we don't identify how many people based on the R value and stuff, how many did they infect unknowingly, you know, not, not, no, no, nobody's being relevant here. It's just that how many did they talk, touch contact and get infected that are going to become a future positive. So Mm -hmm. the one thing I would say, and we could go into details on some of the stuff like around testing around uh, numbers and stuff. Our numbers are extremely accurate. When you see the Alberta numbers being posted and the and the Ontario, any of them, they're accurate. They're very, very solid and tell us what's going on. So one of the things that I'm I'm just gonna ask a question, uh, just for the sake of I, I suppose the the naysayer in me, but what what do you think would be an accurate representation? Because you do say that the numbers are accurate and it's it's my field. I love medicine, so I'm gonna give it the benefit of the doubt. But what do you think would be a a, a a good estimation of an untested number. I mean, if our, our numbers are really accurate, that's fine. But if we're dealing with, say, people who don't know they have it yet, like what is our 
our our test numbers versus our maybe unknown infections if you just had to like ballpark a guess well, what is the what is the error percent yeah right? that's that thank yeah, you that is the well, better discussion or question and, and that's a hard one so that one is a hard one but you can give a ballpark most of them put it in a neighborhood that you might be 10 to 1 um uh, positives and that there's 10 there's 10 other positives out there uh you know and that varies depending on the r varies like so the r is how effective how many people uh are infected if r is one that means you the positives infected one other and it goes on like that but the biggest thing is going to be depending on where you are in in how the wave is coming um and where we are right now in canada i would say it's probably fair to say that that number of 10 to 1 is probably reasonable and one of the things that really confuses a lot of numbers is if if everyone forgets we've only had this virus in canada for less than a year 10 months call it we had a little of a wave early on in april march april with some data a long period where things were really good and it didn't spread and our numbers weren't in crisis mode and then now this second wave that's a real wave and really big and so if you look at it over the 10 months it dilutes out a lot of stuff and it makes us hard to really say okay what's real in these numbers mm -hmm. but when you look at it and say the second wave compared to the first wave and you can really flush out the data and get better information so so a number of 10 to 1 would be very reasonable now but in the summer that wouldn't have been a fair estimation mm -hmm. right so that's mm -hmm. that's where it gets hard to give you those solid numbers right and and, and I, I just want to point out oops earlier on in you know, when all this was starting and our numbers were okay, I, I don't know about anybody else, but there was a lot of outrage on these ethical dilemmas that Italy was facing. You know, they, they had to make these de decisions on who's getting ventilated and who's not. And and a lot of people are like, oh, my, that's terrible. I, we, we can never let it get to that. And and to your own admission, we're starting to get to that point. And it, it, it's such a, I don't want to say shame. It, it's unfortunate that we've let it get to this point through some of the misinformation and, and, and all these, like you said, armchair and everyday experts out there that I, I don't even know. I, I'm at a loss for words a lot of the times when discussing COVID because we're starting to get to these points that we said we'd never get to. Especially when you well, think about people who um, are, you know, comparing COVID to the flu and, yeah. you know, well, the flu numbers, the flu numbers are, are way worse. And Dr. Dina Henshaw, Alberta's top doc came out the other day and said, we've had more COVID deaths than the last 10 years of flu deaths combined in Alberta. Yeah. So yeah, no one can use that flu excuse mm -hmm. anymore. So the, yeah. when it comes to mask wearing and social distancing, I'm, I don't know if you guys in Alberta see it as much as I do, but people ignore it, right? I mean, that's part of the reason I think that we're in this mess in the first place. So, I mean, Paul, I mean, it, it seems so m um, mundane and routine, and routine to ask the question, but like, I, I sometimes think that people don't understand how important wearing a mask, wearing gloves or washing your hands and not touching your face sort of, you know, kind of really is like, is there one kind of catch all thing that we can inform people about, about how important it is? One of the big myth, one of the big, uh, as an example, um, uh, maybe it's a myth or misunderstandings or whatever that's out there um, is that wearing, uh, wearing a mask doesn't, um, protect you it protects others and one of the big things out here now is well you know if, if you're infected you can get a viral load from rebreathing into your mask and stuff i mean what are some of those misconceptions that you that we can clear up you know because well, i don't know what to tell uh, those people <laughs> yeah so you know what so a couple things one, one thing i should lay out there 
that's important to remember is that I actually think probably maybe 80% of Canadians, minimum 80%, if not higher, are, are kind of trying to do the right thing or want to do the right thing and, and are, are like want to be guided and follow. And, and sometimes it's even flipping that like a percentage of those don't want to be the only person outside wearing a mask when no one else is. So if everyone's wearing a mask, it's way easier for them to be like, oh, I don't want to be the person not wearing a mask and, but, and so on. But I would say, you know, like lots of Canadians want to do the right thing at 80% easy. And, and then, and then there's some, there's, there's problems around some of the myths and some of the confusion. And so what I can tell you is, uh, you know, first thing first that I've learned now more and more to say is that, so I'm a scientist, I believe in science. I think why, where we are, science has basically led to everything we have in this world right everything. now. And science mm -hmm. is, yeah. it's a, it's a process. Like it's actually, you can reproduce it. You can do it. People can say, this is what I did. And then scientists across the world can reproduce it. I believe in science. And so one of the things I say more and more now is listen, I'm just a simple emerge doc in the front line. Sure. I have lots of disaster medicine experience, infectious disease experience. And I'm the person that's going to treat the sickest of the sickest COVID patients when they come see me uh, in the emerge. Uh, but I I've started default a little bit more saying, we got to stop like just listening to one expert out there's opinion and we have to say what is the consensus like the expert consensus of all of these collective scientific bodies what are they saying and telling us um, after they've had hundreds of scientists and doctors study the data study the literature who the world health organization cdc public health canada alberta health services 80 other international big gigantic scientific bodies have come out and said 100% social distancing will decrease this 100% that wearing a mask will decrease the amount of transmission the confusion things hand washing simple things like hand washing minimizing contact there's no real debate as to whether those things are positive or going to help us it's it's like the example I use sometimes is the one person that says masks are going to kill you it's kind of like you always read those that you know, one in a thousand dentists disagrees. Like they don't think brushing your teeth is a good idea, and the other nine hundred ninety-nine dentists are like, "No, brushing your teeth is going to help your teeth and your health." Right? So, so only eighty uh, percent, Paul. Or you're well, saying that? Oh. I, I'm saying eighty percent are like not even that they want to do the right thing and follow. The other twenty percent. I would say, you know, I'm making up numbers. Maybe there's five, 10% that are hardcore, like, no, my liberties are, mm -hmm. I don't want to be told what to do, or I want to figure this out myself and figure out, I don't know what those numbers are. But I, I do think like, you know, 80, 90% of, of, of Canadians, they, they kind of want to do the right thing, um, but they're getting confused or mixed in messages. And so the best example I'll give you is the, the, the mask. So there, there's really no debate that the mask decreases transmission, meaning if I have the virus, I go out in public, whether I know it or not, I cough less spread, I, my cough doesn't get spread around, those particles don't go around, lots and lots of robust, excellent evidence that that decreases mm -hmm. me spreading it. Some of the questions like the big famous Dan mask study that they did in Denmark that looked at, does it help me if I'm not infected and other people are around, and, and people really confuse this. And what's even more frustrating is when you actually read the article that they published in the, in the annals, they actually prefaced it at the start saying, listen, we don't want people to confuse this study saying that masks don't work because we're, we're worried people are going to misinterpret it. Their study showed that it actually 
decreases transmission, but they, but they didn't look for that. They weren't studying that question. So they couldn't say that definitively. And then mm -hmm. the only question they were looking at is, does it, is there evidence, scientific research evidence saying that does wearing a mask decrease the, the risk that I might get infected by 50% or more? Their study said, well, we couldn't really find that, but we found, we think the number's like 20 to 40%, but we wow. found it works. And the one last piece that's really, really important that gets missed in that study is that was done in Denmark when they were having cases, but nobody else in the community was wearing masks. They mm -hmm. randomized 3,000 3, people to wear masks, 3,000 people to not wear a mask, and nobody else in the society was wearing masks. So it wow. wasn't a scenario where 80, 90% of the public out there at a minimum were wearing masks, and then they studied it. They, they even admit that too, that that's not what this study was about. So it's just the perfect example of some expert out there goes and says, Dan mask, COVID-19 studies showed masks aren't helpful. And then you got tons of people out there that just either are confused or intentionally latch onto that and mistake it. So mm -hmm. and well, maybe I rambled a bit there, but that, that's a key why it's such a vital thing, right? 10% so. of people are hardcore Dave. So I know how we can save the world. How's that? Right? Well, Dr. Paul is a scientist and a doctor, right? Yeah. So he has access to databases where we can find where these people live and yeah. hunt them down yeah, but you and know, force them to put a mask on their face. You know what? Oh, this is going to make them double down more. You can't do that. They're going to know that it's government control. Data, databases? Like, I saw a meme the other day, and it was a doctor talking to a patient. And it said, unfortunately, we've done everything we can for you. We've exhausted all of our resources. We need to send you to a real medical facility. So we're sending you to the comments section. <laughs> Exactly. Right. Yes, I and, and what that's saying is we have comment. we have hundreds of thousands, if not more, millions of doctors in this country, and all they do is sit on Facebook all day and tell people what the deal is. And that's yeah. part of the problem is the misinformation. Wow. And and the fact that Paul, I, I, I have a ton of respect for you, but I know you have an agenda. <laughs> Okay, yeah, I know yeah. you're towing some line and you're being paid to say all of this stuff, but there's no way that anything you're saying is true today. Yeah. yeah. You know, yeah. and of course I'm being facetious. <laughs> but of course. All right, so okay, I guess my question is and and I saw this even in my practice for a while of of Dr. Google walking into my office, taking many different shapes and forms and ages, but Dr. Google was there very frequently. Um I love science, too. I think the scientific method is a very misunderstood in the modern culture of having an idea and then trying to prove it wrong, not prove yourself correct. But not a lot of people want to have the time to, OK, I've got to look at this study and this one and this one and this one and cross-reference them, then come to my own intellectual conclusion. I think no one has time for that. I'm doing air quotes right now, but that's – I mean that's what actual information gathering is – is there any shortcut that people can maybe go to or, or any one singular resource that it's at least like, I only want to read one page, but what is the most unbiased section of information, I guess, that you can get to? Oh, man, that's a loaded question. That's a loaded I, I know it's a loaded question, question but I, yeah. I can guarantee yeah. and someone who listens to this is going to go like, yeah, but I have my one source and I read my one source and it says this, but that's not how it should work. But that's a problem with data vetting or c content vetting, I suppose. You know. Yeah. So well, and the other part is that you got to watch because what what are they selling you, right? Like so, it what what is the there's a lot out there that 
you know, like I get that, uh, you know, people will send me this or that and say, hey, what do you think about this? Because this is exactly opposite of what all the doctors are saying. And and it seems legit. Right. And, but then when you look at at the source, like they're they're an anti-vaxxer that's selling vitamins or whatever, like I, it, it, I would say if you want to ask in a nutshell, we have to get back to uh, a place in society where we trust collective bodies that are the experts for it. So you want a real simple CDC, yeah. who, Public yeah. Health Canada, Alberta Health Services, because because honestly, the gain that I get and all my colleagues in Alberta Health Services right now by trying to mitigate this this disaster and this and this virus is that I don't get overwhelmed and and have to take tons of patients and tell people that we're not going to be able to fa- help their loved ones and things like that. So sure, mm-hmm. I get a bit of benefit in that. Uh, you know, like in fact, financially and all of us doctors, the more work we have, the better we do. I'm saying that facetiously because <laughs> of course our gain is in this one is to try to do what's better for the public health of all Canadians and our Albertans. And so Alberta health services, Hinshaw is our public medical officer of health. That's who we should start listening to. And then if you want to go to sources, something like CDC, something like who, something that's an international body. That's not just one Joe Blow. It's like, hundreds and thousands of doctors who their entire job is is to study and know this and then they come to consensus they debate and come to a consensus it seems like common sense that you would of course you would trust the cdc and you would trust the who but these are specifically exact organizations that were completely um uh, you know poo-pooed by the government down south earlier this year you know for right. telling the truth and and going against what the what the american government or what the current administration uh, was was towing. So, you know, how do you combat that kind of misinformation from the top? Oh, yeah. Well, you let that Scott Atlas guy, that guy who looks like a Gringotts <laughs> wizard from Harry Potter, that, that dude, like the amount of misinformation that guy mm-hmm. put out about herd immunity. And, oh, my God, you're right, Dave. Like, uh, and, and, I mean, Sweden tried the herd immunity thing earlier this year, and it just it, it just collapsed in on them. It failed miserably. Right? Yeah, Sweden's UK in, did from, it from what CNN right? was saying today, Sweden's in real, real trouble right yeah. now. Sweden's shipping their sick patients to other countries now because mm-hmm. they can't handle it. And oh, and that's wow. a good example, too, of where it's that's still used as an example. Sweden didn't have a lockdown, and they, A, they, they have – all of them, their collective scientists, their leaders have said we made a huge mistake. Their economy has been hit just as bad or equally as bad as the countries around them. Uh, but to get back to your point too, I, I can't just, I can't downplay that one of the things we should all be worried about and think about when we get out of this is the politicization of science. We have to get to a point where, so absolutely, I, we could do a whole podcast on what did the Americans do wrong with the CDC mm-hmm. and yep. politics no, and right. things? And, and, and we have to move to where we insist that the political, the political organizations don't interfere and affect the, the scientific bodies that are out there to kind of be the watchdog around medical and scientific evidence. Mm-hmm. And we can also do a whole episode, and I think we probably will down the road, on science versus religion. I think that's a that's a huge part of it too, right? The religious right or the religious um, science deniers. 
Mm-hmm. You know, uh, well, I, and not even I religious as like a spiritual thing, but people who are like adamant on their point. Is that kind of what you mean? Like, well, no, I, well, like, well, yes, for okay. sure. There's, there's certainly there's an epidemic of Dunning Kruger effect. If you <sighs> if you're aware uh, of the Dunning Kruger effect, where the least the le- the less you know about a subject, the more confident you are that you know everything about that subject. Whereas the more you know about something, the more you know you don't know, mm-hmm. right? Um, but the, but the religious aspect of it is is because of you know, religion and politics being so tightly knit, at least in the States, um, you know, we're starting to see, you know, that being a problem because it's resisting scientific mm-hmm. information, right? Uh, I don't know what you're talking about. My yeah. Jesus is a botanist. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, and, anyway. and, the, and the politicization is real. In Alberta, I'll give you an example. Mm-hmm. We, we have a medical officer out that, so our chief medical officer Hinshaw reports to a board, the board. So it's the cabinet, the emergency cabinet, and our our politicians. And then what comes out of those back offices isn't necessarily what she has recommended. So there's yeah. some issues there. When mm-hmm. we get out of this, same things happens in Ontario a little bit, and you know across the country there's some issues where. So absolutely, the politicians have to be involved in how things get implemented, and, and but, yeah. but transparency for the public to know what did the scientists uh, advocate and suggest, and then what did the politicians implement? That would be better for the public to mm-hmm. understand. Because so I can tell talk- you there be mm-hmm. no well, just yeah. Let's I just say let's that talk- I guarantee you that our medical officers of health have been pushing man provincial mandate for masks for a long time before we got it. Yeah, so let's talk about that's an awesome point. Let's talk yeah. about that. That's I mean, a good segue. Now, now we're talking about government control, right? Yeah. I mean, we've been skirting that for as a segment here for a while, but I mean, let's get into it. I mean, at what point, guys, do like I've, I think Dave, we had this discussion yesterday. Mm-hmm. There are people smuggling people into their homes, you know, and 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 trying to get into hospitals and healthcare or uh, what do they call them, long term care facilities, you know, under false pretenses to be able to see people, et cetera, et cetera. I mean, at, at what point do we start? like shipping people onto remote islands in order to enforce lockdowns. Like where's, where's the, where's the, where's the drawing point? People are taking risks to stay sane here. Right. So Paul, is it the same with frontline workers? I mean, are are you seeing quote unquote, and I'm air quoting like Jeremy (laughs) cheating among frontline workers when it comes to sneaking out to see their families in the middle of a shift or something, just general thoughts on any of that guys. Hmm. Uh, Well, I mean, Everybody's human, so I would not say that I would I would not say carte blanche healthcare workers are not breaking some of the rules. Um, I think that on the whole, they're probably a bit better towing the line because they see the real ramifications um, mm. and they see the impact. Uh, you know, it's such a it's such a hard thing because people a lot of this debate everybody forgets that with you, you know with rights come responsibilities, and and so one of the balances are that. You know, we we can't. We're not just individuals. We what we do. If it has major impacts on other people, then there are have to be some limitations. If it's for the greater good, and 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 it's tough. I get it. Like I. So one thing I have to say, like nobody likes the pandemic. Nobody likes these. Nobody's happy about these restrictions. If you talk to my colleagues, they're equally nurses, doctors. They're especially frustrated. Especially. And, and, 
Absolutely. Like, and they can't have their kids home for Christmas or their family or nobody likes this at all. So it's not like there's a dichotomy where there's a good choice that we're refusing to mm -hmm. take. Um, but, you know, let me give you an example. In the last week, uh, what are the real impacts of this? So in the last week, I admit, say, just, you know, anonymous, a 70 odd year old lady uh, and she comes into a merge short of breath and feeling no energy and her husband's sitting there and he's 70 odd year two they year old they live together and and in that emerge i diagnosed that her oxygen's low and that her sat her um she has covid and she's gonna have to be admitted and i'm looking at her little husband who is gonna have to go home alone and this may be the last time he ever sees her he'll he'll not be allowed to go he's been exposed to her so he won't be able to go visit her in the hospital that's None of the family members will be able to go. Uh, he may get sick on his own and alone, but but what strikes me right away is this guy will not, he, this might've been the last time he's going to actually ever physically touch or say, you know, be in the same room as his wife. She might recover too. So let's hope that happens. But on the flip is that that's, that's what happens when we don't do our part, when we don't have, um, uh, you know, a large number of people trying to do small minimal things to try to make it better for everybody and and just to finish that nobody nobody cares about that if it's not their family well that's not the right way very few people care, don't care about that situation if it's not their family or their loved ones but as soon as this touches you and your family you see how bad and how hard and how difficult this illness is and 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 most reflect really quickly saying man if i could have done things to minimize this a bit more i would have done my part more and, and I, that's, you the, know. that's a huge reality check eh? that's the, if there's a, if there's anything that anybody in our audience or or us three guys take out of this conversation it's that reality check yeah you know if anybody hasn't been personally affected yet take that story to heart you know it, it, it might be an anonymous person as you're hearing this show right now but that could be your grandparents that could be your great grandparents like the, this is what i don't I, I lose um the ability to see is is just thinking that and extrapolating those stories and going well what if that was my family i don't want that to happen i couldn't imagine if one of my loved ones was in there and you just just take a second and think about that for a second. I mean, one of the things that I hear on social media all the time when you're talking about that is, well, you're just being a sheep. You know, I hate that word. Oh, sheeple. You know, yeah, sheeple. We're being sheeple. And, 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 and Paul touched on the right subject. You know, we have a social responsibility because we do live in a herd. And, and while the term sheep makes us sound weak, like if you don't want to be a sheep, Get out of the goddamn herd, you know, mm -hmm. because that's where you're living. You're living with other people. And if you can't be responsible um, for protecting your fellow citizens, you know, you can't, you can't, um, you know, criticize people for wanting to be responsible, you know, mm -hmm. with other people. And it just, it, it upsets me to no end because nobody wants to be a sheep. Yeah. And that's the argument that they're using. And, and Dr. Park said it earlier. I, I, it just why there's all this mistrust in this information. And I don't want to go all the way back and recycle a point, but just we need to take a second and just trust the experts because they quite frankly have put in all the work and the debates amongst themselves so that the other, so that the average Joe doesn't have to go, man, I, I really need to brush up on virology today so I can understand the, no, 10,000 doctors already did that. And we, why there's that lack of faith is a shame. Mm-hmm. 
I don't know how to fix it because I'm not I'm not a smart guy. That's why I think I'm a guest on the show so frequently. But uh, <laughs> so frequently, <laughs> it's because you're well spoken, better than us. <laughs> I, I don't know how to fix it either, though. I mean, it's a hard thing. You know, sometimes facetiously we say too that you know they don't. So I keep saying, don't listen to me. Listen to the public health experts, the infectious disease experts. Uh, obviously, I know enough of it that I'm I'm trying to echo and amplify what the experts are saying. Um, 100% and advocating along that line. But then facetiously, we'll say, you know, these people who don't want to listen to me when I'm saying, please do this and please do that and please minimize, all of a sudden believe in science when they get sick or their loved one mm -hmm. gets sick. And mm -hmm. all I was about of a sudden, to ask that, actually. Yeah. Yeah. And all of a sudden, they want, you know, my expertise and, and our healthcare system and those components. They, they want to surrender themselves to that and say, make us better and let us, you know, help us. And, and, and so that can be hard. Like that, that can be hard because it's kind of like, you know, why, why won't you believe us and listen to us when we're making the advice on the other stuff too, the, right? The, like on the preventative stuff. The sad part of it, Paul, is that your job is not to fix this problem. Unfortunately, by the time they come to you, they've already been infected. Your job is management, management as best you can and try and mitigate you know, the cases that we have, but by the time they come to you, it's too late. <laughs> They've already yeah, got so, it. Yeah. I, and I give the example, you know, everyone forgets. So Alberta, we're wild west out here, very yeah. far right. 100%. And they really truly are. And, but I, everyone forgets, like we had the same debate about seatbelts and yep. this whole, it's my right to like die in a fiery car crash if I don't want to wear my seatbelt. And we quickly showed the evidence and said, listen, it's not your right. Cause unfortunately you won't just die. You'll have a major injury that will take major resources in the healthcare system that will impact everybody because those resources are needed for everybody. So we use that argument and that logic to say it's it's reasonable to to kind of um, impose on your rights a little bit and make you wear mm. a seatbelt. Um, yeah. That analogy, people have grown used to it. People get it. People understand. And and that is exactly comparable to, say, masks and asking people not to go out. And, and, and one of these things is what we're asking, do this for a you know, a shorter period of time until we can get vaccines and things get better. This may not be forever kind of thing. You know what I, you, you know, the comparative piece that I come up with, and I'm sure that we're all old enough to remember this, but you know, if I use the term, make sure you wear a condom, would you know what I'm talking about? I'm old enough to remember when a lot of people died, got infected with HIV in the eighties and the nineties. Mm -hmm. And that, I mean, that was a pandemic too. And if I'm not mistaken, correct me if I'm wrong, Paul, but, I've read recently that AIDS HIV is considered the worst pandemic in human history to this point in time, simply because of the devastation and the amount of death and infections that are worldwide. There's nothing even close to it. Mm -hmm. Right. And so right. my point is, my God, like we've, we've learned how to manage that 30 years later. So it's not quite so fatal. Right. But it seems that we've forgotten that lesson with this one is do you understand what I'm trying to say? Like we should have learned from HIV maybe 20, 30 years ago. And now we're sort of facing something that's actually potentially worse. You know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. Like, um, mm -hmm. like when someone comes like, how, like, you know, I guess 
I, I sort of lost my train of thought about what my question was, but if I, you know, if anybody else has oh. you know, similar kind of uh, ideas. Well, well, what I was going to say, and, and I need to undo the fact that I just called myself a pseudo moron maybe two minutes ago. <laughs> so I'm going to use a big word here. Um, you know, you bring up a good point with the seatbelts and how important something like prophylaxis is in mitigating the, the, the burden on the system. How much easier is it to just wear this little leather strap or whatever it's made out of. See, that's how little I know. Um, Hold on. Prophylactus leather strap? <laughs> yes. This is moving into a different direction. Yeah, that's next week. Um, <laughs> Stay but, tuned. But, you know, how do we get that message across to people that, like, you know, while we have a lot of faith in the medical system, it's it's really a weirdly clean up based system in a sense. Like, it is a very reactionary one. And every time we have this this you know, like masks or seatbelts or what have you. Um, we seem to <laughs> not take that easier route and just rely on the system that might be overburdened that we don't know anything about. Like, is there a, a good way to get that point across? I've often, I've often made the illustration of the, the people downtown or wherever doing their, their mask protests and saying no more masks. And then as soon as they're done, they get in their car and put their seatbelt on and drive yeah. off. Yeah. And I think you, <laughs> exactly. I, you can't, you don't get to do that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And there's Dave has spoken. You don't get you to do that. <laughs> yeah. And, and I mean, you know what, like I said, in, in the end, sometimes too, it's so again, like I'm very cautious cause uh, not cautious, but thoughtful of like, for example, I truly don't think wearing a mask is a big deal in public. I, I do kind of get a bit irked. It's like, man, come on. I, I wear it 10 hours a day in the Emerge, a tighter N95 when I need it. I, uh, I know it makes, it rubs my ears a bit. It's a bit irritating. It's annoying. I can't see people smile. Yeah, it's a nuisance. But I, honestly, to say, hey, can you throw a mask on when you're going to be somewhere where you can't socially distance? It's not that big a deal. You know, trying to get people to minimize certain outdoor activities and stuff is not that big a deal. Things like not letting people come into your house and not commingling, that's a big deal. That I, I get it. Like that becomes harder like mm -hmm. that. And yeah. and that, that's hard for teenagers, 16 I, to, you know, it's hard. But again, there's good reasons why we're asking. But that's where the numbers are coming. It. That's where the numbers are coming from. Yes. I'm, I'm certain that's where the numbers are coming from. Because, I mean, even, you know, our province you know, came down with um, the restrictions a couple of weeks ago saying, you know, no social gatherings, masks inside, um, you know, all this stuff. And they said, you know, you know, hair salons are closed, but we know that they're, that's not where the cases are coming from. The cases are coming from house parties and get togethers and Thanksgiving and, and all this stuff. And that's why, you know, it being Christmas time, you know, people either they don't do it or they have to smuggle people into their house mm -hmm. for Christmas yeah. or whatever. And, you know, if they're doing it safely, well, I mean, it's, it's still not allowed, but it's the, it's the 20 people parties that where people are all sharing their drinks and stuff like that's, it's just rife yeah. for, you know. So, yeah. So let well, me ask you this then guys, um, you know, we're, we're at a, we're, I'm, I'm not so worried about time with, with this, with no, this we're podcast. Not this is, this is a very, important topic for everybody to hopefully listen to. And we, and again, you know, we're on social media, uh, boys and girls out there where, you know, we're on Twitter, we are on Facebook. Um, Dave, I believe we're on other social media platforms and other sort of platforms right to us, you know, and if you have questions for Dr. Paul, you know, we'd like to, I'm pretty sure I can safe to say we're probably going to have, you know, him back to do a more follow-ups 
on this as this COVID situation kind of progresses. If he ever wants to come back on the show. <laughs> if he ever wants to come back, yeah. The word well, morons getting thrown this, around a lot. So, 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 so let me make it, let, let me make it really clear. Dr. Paul, please come back and talk to us. Please. Um, yeah, yeah, for sure, for sure. Let's talk about vaccines, though, because there's a huge misunderstanding, a lot of misinformation about about vaccines. Now, I, I think, can I think you tell us before we, before we go in? Sure. It, it needs to be said that the vaccine is is around the corner, and it's actually they're, they're actually starting to deliver these vaccines now, and. This is a turning point, but it's not the end of the problem. And I think, you know, there's either the the two beliefs, and we'll get into some more of the myths, but the, the two beliefs right now are either, you know, it's it's the end of the problem. So once I have my vaccine, I can go off and be irresponsible, or it's not going to work anyway, and it'll probably kill me, so I'm not going to get it anyway. So, you know... Yeah, well, on top of that, too, Dave, there's a lot of people out here that's saying, I'm going to wait and see mm-hmm. what the side effects are, or, you know, I have a penicillin allergy, or I have an egg allergy, and they're saying they're not going to get it because they've had bad yeah. Uh, yeah. unphylactic reactions. All of that stuff is all part of the, the this whole discussion, right? But can, can you, uh, Paul, can you sort of tell our listeners, I mean, what is the difference between this, and there's a huge difference, between a regular inoculation and this messenger RNA um, type system, which is, and correct me if I'm wrong, it's pretty revolutionary. It's pretty cool science, right? Oh, absolutely. So, yeah. So, in fact, you know, we're talking about we don't want all this to be downer and that. Let me let me just go back to an earlier point you said and 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 talk about why we should be optimistic and why things are positive is that so you use the analogy of the HIV and AIDS epidemic, and, and that's a great, it is, it was a major, a huge pandemic and really uh, a tough thing. But if you think in the terms of the scope of science, it took us like, you know, a couple of years to four or five years to figure out that sneaky little virus and what it was. It took us, you know, more years to uh, figure out some of the meds. It took us, we still don't have a good vaccine for it. Like we spent 30 odd years of science slowly plodding through that to try to figure it out and get things figured out. People have to understand that, like, honestly, the scientific and medical community of the world has basically done all that in about a year here we Mm -hmm. figured out the virus we figured out a lot of things that how it spread what we did sure there were certain things we didn't totally get right and and we we kind of readjusted and figured things out um and also in the last 10 months we've figured out medically in the eMERGE and ICU what treatments work and what don't and what's a good way to do it and now all of a sudden too within 10 to 12 months we have a working vaccine so everybody should just take a moment to really think how unbelievably positive and amazing mm-hmm. that oh, is. That's a huge point, Doc. That's uh, I never even thought about that, but you're you're absolutely right. I mean, the the speed at which this was done. Um, Dave and I did talk about that a couple of episodes ago about how astounding, you know, it, it seemed that things were coming together, and that's a really good point because. I mean, I don't think we've still kicked HIV. Like I think you said, I don't believe there is a, there is a treatment, right? It's not a cure. Yeah. Not a cure. Thank you. Dave. Not a cure. Okay. Treatment, so the, for sure, this question kills me to ask, um, is there any danger on this quick turnaround of a vaccine? Cause like you said, usually it takes years and years and testing and developing and developing. And I know without a 
doubt someone somewhere is saying right now, this turnaround is too through. quick. It was, yeah. it was forced yeah. through. There was coercion. I mean, th- this is Operation Warp Speed, right? Yeah. So I can, I can say that this is, yes, Moon Landing Warp Speed, amazing. Um, but confidently, so key pick a couple pieces uh, that are really important to understand is so that this virus is, is kind of a, a, a very unique one in using that mRNA, uh, mRNA. And one of the things that's very different that everyone has to hear like loud and clear right away is you are not getting injected by the virus. So this say vaccine, that again? Please say you that are again. not yeah. getting injected with the virus. You will not get the virus and it can infect you. Slow clap. So, yeah. and, and the key thing about that is that that's how some of our other vi- our vaccines work and used to work. And they've called, they were attenuated or they were parts of the vaccine or those are different types of vaccines. This one in a real simplified nutshell, it, it you're getting injected with this message code that's RNA. And it basically tells your cells how to, it gets incorporated and tells your regular cells in your body how to make these spike proteins. And these spike proteins are the spike proteins. If you everyone's seen that beautiful little corona, the circle with all the spikes on it, those spikes are what helps the virus get into your cells and infect you and basically make you sick. And so your body gets taught how to make those spikes. So small amount of spikes get released out and then your body's immune system sees them and forms uh, immunity. And the first vaccine you get, depending on all the vaccines, the first one you get gives you that kind of teaches your cells and starts to make it. Um, and then you spend a couple of weeks getting a little bit of an immune response. And then that second vaccine in about three to four weeks is, is uh, it's kind of like a booster kind of thing where it's basically, here's another low dose of this kind of to teach your body that, okay, there's way more of this now. We have to mount a big immune response to basically get really good immunity. To That's get why ready, the, ready. the two doses, right? Is that what that is? Exactly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So first one is to make the spikes and get a little bit of a one. And the second one is kind of like to make more spikes to give you a boost. So you have a good, robust, basically an army of immune cells to go out there and fight the infection if you get hit by it. Mm -hmm. And and to answer your question, what's different, this vaccine is, this type of vaccine has been used before, so it's not brand new, and this technology has been used a lot, but but using it in in this fashion really quickly for this virus is what's new. But one of the beautiful things about this is the safety profile of doing this is well known from a bunch of other medical stuff that uses this that it it it's it's probably the safest way you can make a vaccine mm-hmm. and it so it is I, the safest way you can make a vaccine i have two related questions then doc um yeah so with other types of virus like this will this vaccine then be transportable to other similar kinds of coronaviruses will it actually prevent other kinds of future like is this is this is this thing just for COVID or because it's an mRNA um, a spike inhibitor? Um, it, will this work on potentially other kinds of organisms? So the fair answer for me to say is we're not really sure. Uh, uh, could it work for other SARS viruses? A little bit, maybe, because then if you think right. about all the viruses out there, the spikes that are on viruses, like in the simplest terms every virus has different types of spikes or connectors on the outside of it. And that's what helps them get into the, into the cells. Um, and some spikes are similar. And so in the SARS vi- virus kind of family, the sp- they will have some overlaps. 
Um, but just to make it even simpler, influenza is the best example of why every year you have to get a different influenza shot because that, that virus is crazily clever in that it changes its <laughs> spikes. It changes wow. its outside spikes every year by a little bit, and there's genetics. I'm simplifying, but mm. what, what it does is it makes different spikes, and so you need to get refreshed of a, of a vaccine for those specific spikes. So in a nutshell, this will be very, very, very good for this specific SARS virus. Um, so, and there might be a little bit of protection for other SARS viruses, but it wouldn't help with influenza, for example. So my second part of that then is what do you say to anti-vaxxers who say, oh, my kid's going to get autism or I'm going to get this, I'm going to get that. Like, what, what is your professional response to those people? Because there's a lot of them. Like, and I'm not just talking about the U.S. I'm sure all of us know at least one person who's a so-called quote-unquote anti-vaxxer. What do you say to those guys? So that's, so full stop, I, I won't even hesitate, is start trusting and believing in science again. And the scientific body is 100% clear about autism, for example. There's no debate. Like, that's not even, in fact, the person that kind of helped go through that, that was a study that was bad, went to jail for, like, yeah. basically falsifying data. Like, there's no debate about autism. It's not even there. And then, and then any of the other kind of um, debates that go around vaccination in general and stuff, that, that's a whole other talk that we could have. And, and part of that is going to, you know, I, I guess the simpler terms is how much do you, how, how much do you want to carry on with these societal restrictions for a long time and not be able to travel and not be able to do kind of return to a degree to normalcy versus hanging on to some really ill-informed beliefs about vaccines. And, and I'll just leave it at that because this, this vaccine has very less chemicals, like the actual carrying body that the, the mRNA is in is basically some, some fats and sugars and less chemicals than are in a hot dog. Like, I'm not joking that these people that are not <laughs> really? wanting no. to vaccinate their kids will feed their kids beans and wieners and That's hot dogs every yeah. day. And there's way less chemicals and, and you know, negative effects in, in this vaccine. So it becomes sometimes illogical, I'd say. But so and, and one of the questions that I have, and we kind of touched on it earlier and then bounced away. So I'm going to bring it back is um, this idea that once we get these two uh, vaccinations and time rolls on, you know, some people think, oh, this is it. But I've also heard some reports that this might become endemic, like the like the seasonal flu. Do we have any more insight on that with this new mRNA vaccine? Is this I, I don't want to use the word cure all because that brings snake oil up. And I don't know. Are we going to have to get vaccinated yes, over and over and over again you. for coronavirus? Yeah. So, to be really fair on that one, we're not sure yet. Yeah. So I think I, and that and that's honestly where it's, you know, you don't want to say definitively yes one way and then be like, oh, no, it looks like to be maybe do, are we going to need boosters or things like we have with influenza? Maybe. Mm -hmm. um, is it, but, but on the flip side, is, that, is the evidence and science pretty strong that, you know, as many people getting this vaccine as possible, plus whatever little bit of herd immunity we have from the people who have been infected um, and, and allow that to dampen down so this doesn't go wildfire across an entire population that's never seen it. 100% that's mm -hmm. going to be beneficial. Um, may there be little subtle mutations or may there be that we need to get boosters every year like influenza, that, quite possible. And, and to be honest, that, that would be one where uh, I, I think anybody that's even like a virology or a vaccine expert would say it's a little early for us to be able to give you yeah. any of that evidence on that really? one. Really? So let me ask you this, guys. Um, 
just throw this open to 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 Dr. Paul, but also we talked about this before a little bit, guys. But like, what's the impact for people that are already infected for this for this vaccine, right? Like, that's number one. And then once you are vaccinated, are we going to go to a police state kind of a situation where you're not going to be able to even go to a museum or pick up uh, groceries unless you have a vaccination card show me your papers kind. i mean what yeah. yeah what level of draconian measures are we should we expect and accept in order to you know successfully combat this you know this pandemic um companies like ticketmaster so companies like yeah. ticketmaster are already uh, implementing systems whereby you can buy a ticket to an event, but you won't get that ticket until you've proven that you've had a vaccine or that you've that you, mm. you're inoculated or you're you know or or whatever. But you know how far is that going to go? Right, and one that's so to answer the first question, really simple, no, because it's not a virus. It's the MRA. If you've had the, if you've been infected or have the infection and get vaccinated, it won't really change anything at all. So, so that's not even worth really kind of worrying about okay. uh, on the flip side though that that whole government societal you, you know that that's that's where some of the discussion needs to open up is that like mm-hmm. if if our capacity so a lot of the like alberta for example 100 percent, kenny our premier didn't want to do any restrictions unless it forced to and i can tell you the proof's in the pudding the fact that he implemented this these restrictions and what he did is because the objective data for how our healthcare system is, how bad it is and how bad it could be, forced them to. Like he does not politically or ideologically want to implement any restrictions and he was forced to. And to give give that, sorry, sorry, to give that that decision a little bit of credibility, I mean, the numbers have come down a little bit. Mm. Well, it works and we know it works. Working, it's working. We haven't seen, well, we haven't seen, and that's the thing, the lag and stuff, but, but we know that these social distancing, masking, and decreasing interaction in public and, and mingling works. It's, it's just that how long do you have to do that for? Mm-hmm. And, mm-hmm. and do you, can you actually really truly do that for five years or a year or no? Like that, and that's going to be now exactly where society has to be. How much do you value that return to normalcy um, versus the rights of letting a bunch of people not get vaccinated, for example? Um, and, and I think this better, (coughs) excuse me, (coughs) some of the better, um, first steps you might see would be employers. So employers are probably legally by, by legislation, they can restrict people from working if they don't have specific vaccinations and stuff. And so you'll probably see that'll be one. You can't return back to work or public spaces by your employer travel would be probably a fair one countries probably won't let you into it if you don't have the back and that's some of those that yeah some of those that would be like a luxury right so so you mentioned uh start so you mentioned uh jason kenny that's your premier right yes correct so i have to share this because it was brilliant um i saw a meme a south park meme yesterday (laughs) that said albertans elected kenny you bastards! <laughs> <laughs> exactly. I thought that was pretty. That was actually pretty brilliant. Um, yeah. So you know, on Tapper last night, uh, was it Tapper? No, it was no, Cuomo. It was Cuomo. Yeah. Sorry, yes. Um, I made that mistake last night too. I'm a moron, Dave. It's yeah, in the title. Will, it's in the title. Um, how does the virus like? Um, how do I say this? 
so it's seeming like you can get this again. Like, like it, it's like, the, like, like, like any of the other sort of infectious kind of diseases like colds and flus. It seems like people can be reinfected. But on Cuomo last night, um, he was speaking to a frontline care worker nurse in Indiana, I believe, who said that she is seeing that the second wave of fatal infections and really, really nasty, debilitating infections is easily triple or quadruple what it was in the first wave. So are we seeing that here in Canada or like, are you guys seeing that in Alberta too? Is this thing growing exponentially? And to the viral, or viral, to the, to the virus discussion, how long is it gonna take before it actually starts making a difference and cutting that down? The, the vaccine, you mean? How yeah. Well it, yeah, like so most people are probably, it depends on how many get vaccinated. The fact that it's a multi-vaccination is going to cause some delays, right? And that's one of the myths is that it, even if you get vaccinated, like, you know, hey, I get vaccinated right away, I can go mingle and do whatever I want right away immediately. No, that's not going to happen. It's going to take some, you're going to probably look at the next couple of months that it takes that, uh, you know, go through January, February and into March, more and more getting vaccinated starts to warm up so we can do stuff more outside. Uh, and then we can start to kind of see that we have enough enough immunity and enough of uh, the population vaccinated that that we can start to return back to kind of normal stuff. That, that'd be yeah. the best guess that you're gonna see. That whole thing about the second wave, you have to be careful because, um, you know, it's, it's one of these things where infectivity, how how fast and, and easy it spreads is getting a, we do see some evidence over the year, it's getting more infective, but it's actually not getting more lethal. In fact, in the simplest terms, a virus doesn't want to mutate into being more lethal. A virus wants to mutate into being really infective so it can go everywhere and stay everywhere, but it actually doesn't want to be lethal. It wants to stay in the host and yeah, why would it want to, yeah, why would it want to kill the host? It wants to crash on your couch, not burn the house yeah. down. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's so, an accident. So that, it doesn't think that it's in a human, right? I, I believe I've heard I that's know, what boys, someone said. I've, I've, seen, I've seen the alien movies. I don't <laughs> yeah, think that one's exactly. one to keep anybody alive. So we were well, talking, it kind of leads into the next sort of thing about myths, right? And uh, yeah. Every once in a while we play a, a you know, we'll, we'll do sort of a quote unquote trivia kind of a thing, but let's just, let's just do a myth or no myth thing and sort of go in order here. We have a list of, um, you know, of common things that have been heard, said, printed, um, disseminated on social media, things like, and I'll start, things, things like this one, the vaccine was rushed. So it's probably really not safe. It's probably not tested properly. True, or, is that a myth or is that a no myth? So it's rushed, but it's a myth. It's tested very, very well. And it's actually, the evidence is, is impressive how safe it is. Mm -hmm. Well, and we kind of covered but, on but that a little bit rushed. earlier too. I'm not gonna, I'm yeah. not gonna yeah. lie. It was rushed in yeah. terms of 100%. sped up and accelerated and a lot of money and time and effort and expertise was put into making this vaccine. But mm -hmm. it was not, uh, I would say the fair thing would be like uh, corners weren't cut. Let's do let's do ten second answers on now. A lot of these okay. we've addressed already. Yeah. But the second myth yeah. we have: I don't want COVID nineteen injected into my body. And we talked get about it with it. the vaccine. Yeah. yeah, exactly. The availability of the vaccine means the pandemic is over. Not quite, but it's ho hope mm -hmm. that it will be over soon. <laughs> Terry, you go ahead. 
Uh, well, yeah. So, Jeremy, you know, oh, okay. uh, I'll, ooh, yeah. too. I'll read one here. We, yeah. uh, I'm going to get the first round of the vaccine, but I probably won't need a second. So you need a second and that, that's kind of wasting your time a little bit. You'll get yeah. a small amount of, of benefit and, and protection, but not enough. Okay. Um, you can delay routine vaccinations until the coronavirus pandemic is over. Uh, that's asking like that all the other regular viruses. No. So, I mean, get your influenza shot, yeah. get your other, no. So they, they won't interact. Hey, correct. Yeah. They're, they will not. Yeah. The vaccine's going to make me sick. And totally, totally not true. Mm-hmm. So basically this one is one of the few ones that you might not even get an AP arm with it. Uh, but there's nothing in it that's going to make you sick and then uh, and then a couple of that little kind of side effects some people report of being maybe a tiny little bit achy or a tiny little bit uh just feeling a little different that's a sign the immune system's working and that's actually what you want mm-hmm. vaccines contain toxic ingredients uh... so nope very much no <laughs> nope. and nope. like i said Hot dogs have way more toxic ingredients. Such a good that's point. The sound, that's that's the soundbite of the podcast. I Hot dogs that. have yeah. worse yeah. chemicals than the vaccine. I love okay, that. how about yeah, absolutely vaccines can overload your immune system? Overload? Uh, not not th- not this one. So some of the other ones, if you're sick, and like I said, if they're injecting virus, they're different. This one, no. Uh, and there are some indications for very few that who shouldn't get the vaccine, but no, it will not overload your immune system. That's what your immune system's job is to do. Mm-hmm. Natural immunity is healthier and more effective than vaccine-induced immunity. No, no, there's no difference. Your immune yeah. system either yeah. has immunity or not. Doesn't matter where you get it from. Yeah. Okay, you know what? I've decided everyone around me is immune, so I probably don't need to get vaccinated, right? Uh, it's 99% where that could be true, but it'd be a pretty selfish thing to do. Everyone should get vaccinated. <laughs> and, and truthfully, we do, once you get enough people vaccinated, you do get that herd immunity, but you know that you can't rely on other people to do your small sacrifice. You should pitch into. Mm-hmm. Uh, th- this is an interesting one. I actually haven't heard anyone say this one to me yet because it would probably make me want to slap them in the face. Uh, we don't actually get vaccine preventable diseases here. In It's written in front of the United States, but I believe this would apply to Canada too. So that is beyond a myth. In fact, <laughs> if anybody wants to, you know, honestly, so there are so many vaccine preventable illnesses that I unfortunately regularly see in my everyday work that it's it's frustrating and sad. But just quick answer, we've had measles outbreaks. Measles yeah, that's uh, insane. are totally Polio? preventable with a vaccine. Yeah. Polio and, and, and rubella are coming back, man. Yeah. And honestly, the people there, I read a really amazing uh, quote of someone that was older that was, you know, brought to tears by this vaccine that brought for COVID because they could remember their mother crying when the polio vaccine came out because it meant that oh, wow. their kids could go out to the, the, the pools and the playgrounds again because they yeah. were in the middle of a polio epidemic. Wow, that's a huge statement. So the last two here are uh, the flu vaccine protects you against COVID-19. Wrong. Yeah, absolutely not. <laughs> I think that I think early on, early on, that was that was a big misconception that people were, yeah. well, it's it's just the flu. It's you know, and they were even calling it the flu or the China flu or whatever. The China right? flu, yeah. yeah. I have to I have yeah. to share uh, Dr. Paul's look though when I asked him the question on video. <laughs> it was like the, the the prototypical, my God, you you really are a moron. Yeah. Well the last 
But wait for the last one. Inshaw told about the flu. I'd say like ten years. We've had more deaths in ten months by COVID than ten years of flu. So So, they're not the same. Get your flu shot too, though. Everybody should get the flu shot. So the last one, we're going to get the um, the uh, Doctor Paul Park certified um, moronic stare of death on this one for sure. Ready for it? Bill Gates and vaccines are going to be used to microchip people. Nanobots. Yeah, it's, it's insane. Nanobots. You know what? It's not only is it insane, truthfully insane, that what's in that thing is a little small bit of mRNA and, like I said, a little bit of fats and a little bit of, uh, <laughs> of uh, sugars. But I'll tell you that uh, Bill Gates, if, if he could figure out, if they could truly figure out how to do that, they'd be pretty bored seeing me go from my house to my emerge department to my house i know day. mrna was developed by boston dynamics so you can't tell me <laughs> well and can we just be honest here anyone who thinks they're getting a microchip and a vaccine just look at the phone in your pocket no, yeah, yeah, you, you don't need to be a microchip man yeah. but they're talking yeah. about these nano these little nanobots right Ooh, that go gray into your, goo. Yeah, we're all going to be we're going to be reprogrammed and, gonna, and breaking down into machines <laughs> yeah and they're going to be tracking you because nobody has a cell phone in their pocket exactly <laughs> yeah, exactly yeah, yeah. so yeah. in the 10 minutes we've got left guys where do we go now like what's where do we go from here doc like what's how long how long are we going to have to wait before we're back to normal in your estimation? What's and, normal? Or even is there going, exactly. That's the, yeah. that, the new that's normal. Really is there such, is there going to be such a thing called normal after this? I, I got to tell you, when I start seeing people wearing fashion masks, you know, out on the streets, that's now a thing, right? Yep. I mean, I used to think that the, I used to see Asian people here in Toronto wearing mm-hmm. masks for anti-pollution reasons and things, you know, that is that going to be a thing now are masks going to be as common as a watch or a scarf or a hat or a pair of gloves i mean what is the new normalcy where do we go from here so i i hope not is the easy answer but i think we'll probably have some new baselines of uh, we've all learned i think now in a year of what how bad a, an infectious disease can be so maybe we'll all wash our hands more and and you know mm-hmm. uh, maybe not touch our faces as much and things and as we go down the road yeah but uh, you know one analogy that i think again like a lot of the media news and everything tends to focus on on the outliers or the people who aren't like anti-maskers that are x percent if it's 10 20 whatever um, and they kind of forget that there's the 80 odd percent that are doing their part and are sacrificing. And I kind of think that one of the things in the next three to six months is we should really phrase this as like, it's that, it's that end push of sacrifice at the end of the World War II that they're asking the British and Canadians and everyone is like, don't give up now. If we give up now, then those, those you know, Germans are going to win, right? Like keep sacrificing. We're so close keep doing those little sacrifices, wearing your masks, you know, washing your hands, minimizing contact and get your vaccine. And then in a couple of months, that'll be enough of a push that we'll get over this and we'll win. And then what it, what it'll look like when all the kind of debris settles and we see what a return to normal, normal CV, there will be some things will be different, but it's hard to predict what, but I, I think we'll, we'll get better back to a new normal to a degree. So your, what's your, personal protective equipment situation like where you are uh paul is there are you guys well supplied because i mean mike medicine hat i would think would be a microcosm of what the rest of the world kind of looks like and 
you know, I mean, how, how well stocked are you to, you know, to continue to combat this thing? Well, Canada's doing fairly well. That That's one of the things that I, you know, it's another positive. So did we, did we put the brakes on a bit too fast and hard in March and April with all the governments locking down and everything we did in Canada? In Canada, with hindsight, maybe a tiny little bit, we did, we did go down a little bit too fast and too hard everywhere, maybe. Mm -hmm. But one of the things that bought us in the last six months, which is cannot be underestimated and undervalued, is we were able to get tons of PPE and tons of medical equipment and a bunch of things that are now kind of situated us in the healthcare system in Alberta. And I think to most of Canada, because we've been sharing and everything, um, it's allowed us to be pretty prepared actually for, mm. for this second wave that is big and that is kind of flooding us uh we're, we're doing okay so the sacrifices everybody made over the last six months to get us to this point uh helped us a lot on that actually yeah like so uh, what about things like ventilators and blood donations and stuff how does that kind of you know fit in like um is there enough of a blood supply for normal surgeries and is there enough ventilators like in even in your department uh, like are is that a, is that a concern so in, across all of Canada, your biggest concern that you're going to see related to COVID and all of the healthcare capacity is personnel. So that's okay. our biggest concern. So wow. you can see like in Alberta, for example, they've talked about a best example is, you know, we have X number of uh, ICU beds regularly and they're like, well, we can triple that. We're ready to do field hospitals and we have vents and we're ready to do that but who's going to staff it, right? So we already, one of the things that's impacted us the most in the last six months is that almost all of our healthcare systems running at about 60 to 75% of its staffing levels. Mm. And that's one of the, you know what, we didn't touch on it and I know we're getting near the end, but one of the biggest burdens on the healthcare system that's hard is that isolation piece because when they mm. talk about, when they talk about a COVID patient having to be isolated in the hospital, so in Alberta, we, for example, had 800 isolation beds that were like, and all through the whole province, these number of hospital beds were dedicated as isolation beds. Uh, and in, in November, we had 1,700 isolation admitted patients. Um, so those aren't all COVID. Those are people that have fever or have any kind of symptoms that could be COVID, so they have to be isolated. So And, and then that spills into anybody that gets a cold or any illness or any sick, healthcare workers, they can't work. Um, for 14 days until they're better or until they uh, until they show that they don't have COVID and got better. So that the impact is all personnel. Our, our numbers on who's going to staff as we try to ramp up as if things keep getting worse and worse and worse, our rate limiting step will be nurses, physicians, and healthcare workers. Yeah. Wow. That's um, sobering, hey? That's why we don't want to get to where we are Disaster mode, by simple definition, is the demand out out uh, strips the resources. We're getting close in a lot of areas in Canada, and that's why we're we're asking, and you know that's why we're implementing and demanding. Actually, not even asking, but government are are, are insisting that certain measures be done because we're that we're close, we're close, and so there's but there's light at the end of the tunnel of that vaccine in those next three months or so. So you and your staff, how many hours a day are you guys actually putting in helping people? Well, and so that varies wherever you are, but that's one of the problems. That's where the fatigue in the healthcare, for example, and the nursing is one of the best components that so say you have your normal nursing lines, which were pretty stretched in before this. 
then all of a sudden you get a nurse that's out for 14 days. Other nurses are going to have to do double shifts and going to have to, or come on their days off. Um, same as physicians in the first wave, you know, I worked like 25 out of the 30 days in, in the first wave. And um, thankfully with our PPA and pro, PPE and protocols, like not as many of our physicians are getting regular respiratory illnesses and falling down, the, you know, having to be off work in the same numbers, mm -hmm. but that's a real risk. So, so yeah, you know, sometimes the, this workload, especially on like nursing and healthcare aides and cleaners and all that, they, they have to, you're, you just got to think that they're doing the work of, you know, at about 66, two thirds, they have about two thirds of the staff they need to do the job. You know, that's uh that, all of that is very positive news, Dave, Jeremy. I mean, um, man, I'm not going to lie. I was kind of depressed about going into this conversation because it's not a fun topic to mm -hmm. talk about. But i got to tell you, this conversation's kind of brightened my spirits a little bit. I, I certainly know a lot more than I, than I knew before. I'm not quite the moron that I was 90 <laughs> minutes ago. Let's put it that way. I don't know how you guys feel. The truth of the matter is we're not out of the tunnel yet. Yeah. Um, but you know, there might, you we can might see the be light, able right? to see a glimpse of the light. It's we're yeah. still we're still a ways away. I mean, this is the new normal. Um, but you know, science is getting us where it needs to get us. And and science. And it's people like Paul and people like, you know, the scientists that are that are helping us get there. You know, there's a there's a phrase that traditionally used to be reserved for military personnel, but I'll say it to you, Paul, thank you for your service. Yeah. Yes. You know, I, you and it gives me goosebumps definitely. to say that, but it's just, it's so important to recognize our frontline workers, to to, to recognize our scientists and the people that regardless of what you think or what you think the agenda is or, or all of that are here mm -hmm. to keep us alive. Mm -hmm. And we're going to get through this, right? Like we've been through pandemics before as humanity. It's never comfortable. This is the first one in this degree in at least my lifetime. But, you know, keep in mind the better we play in this big sandbox right now, the more people make it through to the other side because we're getting to the other side. Yep. But let's 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 be whole. Let's be as whole as we can. Let's be mindful of our neighbors and these healthcare workers, which, you know, by Dr. Park's own admission are already stretched thin. Yeah. Let's respect yeah, each other. And, and I appreciate you guys saying that. And like, that's, I'm very aware that I'm just one little mm -hmm. small kind of cog in a big team that's working on this, but that's, that's kind of what I would echo is that, you know, for the, for, I don't, I don't, I threw out 80%, but for most of the people out there, you know, maybe when you're getting frustrated and sick of all this COVID stuff and the restrictions, just, you know, think like, do you know a nurse or do you know someone that goes in every day and is having to, kind of work double time to kind of help people that are sick. And if you putting on your mask and maybe not having that, you know, that, that couple over for dinner or whatever could help. Like, is, is that that much to ask? Right. Yeah. Oh, don't you, time. don't you worry, doc, Jeremy, Dave, and I, we're the new task force. We're going to hunt down <laughs> those other 20% and we're going to staple those masks to their face. Yeah. <laughs> on, on the other side of this though, you're going to be able to sell hugs for like $25. Yeah. I mean, it's, they're going to be valuable on the other side of this. Thank you so and much. All of, and yeah. of everything out of this conversation, ladies and gentlemen, I think the biggest thing that we got out of this is don't feed your kid hot dogs. <laughs> <laughs> 100%. Oh, yeah.
Or get get them vaccinated and then give them a hot then dog. Go yeah, 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 yeah. Tell, yeah. tell them the hot dog. This is after you you've been crying about the needle. Well, the hot dog I'm gonna give you is worse. Yeah. <laughs> well, there, ladies and gentlemen, that's gonna do it for another edition of Two Fat Morons. Save the world! I actually kind of think we did save the world a little bit today, gentlemen. That was, uh, thank you, Dr. Paul Parks, for joining us today. That was um, by far, I think, probably the the, the most helpful um, and important. um, Important, thank you, conversation that we've had with a guest to this point in time. We'd like to We're reserve you again trust. sometime. Yeah. 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 That, that was fun, guys. Uh, I'm around. I'm, when I'm not working, I'm not doing too much right now. So. <laughs> Normally, so I would say don't work too hard, about. but, uh, <laughs> you know, keep up the good work. On that note, uh, boys and girls, ladies and gentlemen, all of you, you know, cats and kittens out there, we're going to say a hearty good night and a uh, stay safe, wash your hands, don't touch your face. Wear a mask and follow the good doctor's advice, and we are out for the night. Have a good night, everyone. Take care. It's Two Fat Morons Save the World. The world is a messed up place, and they're going to save it. (laughs) Produced by Dave Cruikshank and Terry Nihill. Music by Epidemic Sound. Two Fat Morons is a presentation of the Plugged In Media Network and is not intended to be taken seriously by anyone. Check out all our other great podcasts at pluggedinmedia.ca or wherever you find your favorite podcasts. Copyright 2020. All rights reserved.